Thanks for watching today at wildwoodchurch.com. Now here's today's message. Good morning, Wildwood. Turn your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. While you're turning there, uh, I had asked Pastor Andrew to kind of adjust our announcement time because what I've come to realize is that while our church has a very clear uh, mission statement, and you might see it around the building and these pallet uh, wood banners, uh, it's not enough for us to just talk about our mission statement among the staff and the elders. It's not enough that, that our staff and elders understand our, our mission and our process of making disciples. And so we want to, to talk here. You, you need to hear this. And you probably are going to need to hear it over and over and over again before it begins to really click. And so I want to also uh, introduce this morning uh, Connect4QC. That, that that's how we summarize our mission statement, Connect4QC. Uh, we exist to connect people in four different ways. And uh, the reality is that many, if not most of you, have come to Wildwood Church since this series came out back in 2018. And so I want to make sure that you understand what our purpose is, like why, why do we exist as a church. And this is really just a restatement of the great commission that Jesus gives to his disciples. It's really the mission of every church. But this is how we talk about it. Uh, so first and f- foremost, in, in priority and in sequence, we connect people to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, and maybe you're visiting for the first time, or you've you, uh, been here a few times, or you're coming back to church, or uh, you weren't raised in church, and you're just trying to see what this is all about, the gospel, the Bible says, has the power to save. The, the gospel has the power to save men and women from their sin and to connect people to God. In, in the Garden of Eden, in creation, sin broke the connection between God and man. And the gospel reestablishes it. The gospel brings reconciliation between God and man. This morning, I'm going to preach the gospel this morning. I'm going to preach in Romans chapter 3. And at the end, I'm going to offer an invitation. And I'm going to ask the elders to come stand at the front because I want you to respond to the gospel. The gospel requires response. The gospel is not one of those things that you just acknowledge. The gospel is something that you respond to. The gospel is something you believe and act on. And so at the end of, end of our message this morning, we're going to offer an invitation. The other's going to be elders standing here for them to pray with you. Maybe you need to take that first step of being connected to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or perhaps you are a follower of Christ. Maybe you've been coming. You, you, you're checking out Wildwood. You're wondering what is the next step. Well, the next step is to connect to others through discipleship. We want you to have friends, but it's not primarily about friendship. It's primarily about your growth and transformation in the faith. And so we want you to immediately get plugged into a discipleship group. Uh, Pastor Andrew mentioned ABFs, Adult Bible Fellowships. There's two going on right now. Uh, there's, or there's three going on right now, and there's one going on Wednesday night, or two going on Wednesday night, excuse me. Those are opportunities for you because, you, you know, you, you'll, you'll look around, and this is a large group gathering. It's, it's uh, easy to get lost in the crowd. It's hard to be known in this environment. So we want you to move into a smaller group. And the most natural way to do that is to get into a group that's already meeting, ongoing, that you can immediately get plugged into either Sunday morning or Wednesday night. I think we have a Tuesday morning uh, women's group as well. We have uh, Grief Share. 
There, there are several groups that you can get plugged into, but ultimately what we want every person that attends Wildwood to do is to get into a connect group because this is a long-term walking with other people in the faith, being challenged, being comforted, being helped, being encouraged. We want ultimately for you to get into a connect group and to be discipled. But discipleship has its ultimate purpose. Maybe you're in a connect group. Maybe you've taken the next step of getting into a one-on-two discipleship relationship where you and two other people are getting together to study Bible. We call that a triad for obvious reasons. And you're looking for the next step. The next step, the height of discipleship, the end is not greater knowledge. The end is service in the world. And so we connect people to their purpose through service. We believe that that Jesus has a purpose for every one of you. And that purpose is found in service to the Lord in the world. But you know what? I, com- I-, I missed connect to church, didn't I? <laughs> I did. The third one is connect to church. We need to make a commitment to one another. We do a process called Partner with Wildwood. It's an opportunity for you to get to know us and for us to get to know you because we believe that every Christian ought to be meaningfully connected to the body of Christ, a local, identifiable, discernible body of Christ, saying, I'm with you, I'm for you, and here I am to serve. And then finally, once again, the height of discipleship is not knowledge, but service in the world. Going out and taking the gospel of Jesus Christ that you believed at step one, that has been refined and and you have grown in step two, and now finally to take that gospel out to the world. And we do all of this, Connect 4QC, we exist We do all of that because we believe that God has called us to be a body in which every member is a missionary, taking the gospel across the street and around the world. We believe that God has given us, our church, the opportunity and the calling to support one missionary in every country on the planet in the next 25 years. That's 200 missionaries that we support raising up from our own nurseries and children's ministry and youth ministry, 50 missionary missionaries sent out long-term, give their life, be spent for Jesus. That's the vision that God has given us. That's why we do all of what I just explained to you. So where are you on, the, on that spectrum? Where, what step do you need to take next? Do you, do you need to respond to the gospel? Do you need to be first connected to Jesus? You don't pass go beyond that. Do you, do you need to connect to God and, and put your faith in Jesus Christ? We're going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service today. Maybe you need to take that step of being, being known and, and being vulnerable, get to a connect group or a discipleship Bible study. Or maybe you've been blessed by the church and, 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 and you're filled up and, and you're being ministered to, but you've not yet made a commitment to these people in membership. Finally, if you are members, go out into the world in service to Jesus Christ. Amen? Hey, I want to talk to those that are watching online. I'm going to go here to the middle camera, guys downstairs. We are grateful to be able to uh, speak to you live every Sunday morning grateful whether you're watching Sunday morning or throughout the week on our website, uh, this is a great supplement to church, to, uh, to gathering. Maybe you're home at sick, uh, maybe you're home sick, maybe you've got sick kids, 
Maybe you're traveling for work or vacation. You work swing shifts. You're watching online. It's a great supplement, but it's a terrible substitute. And so if you're watching online, you're local. I want you to come and be part of what God is doing here with these people. And if you're watching from somewhere not local, that's great, but I want you to find a local church near you. All right? Well, Romans chapter 3, verse 9 through 20. This week I had an incredible but sober experience as I went and visited some of our people in a local nursing home. And after the time with our people, I noticed that there was a man waiting uh, patiently, sitting in a chair, and he had mentioned he wanted to show me a picture of his wife. And, and uh, so after, after my time with our people, I, I gladly went over and engaged with him. And he showed me a picture of his wife who had just passed about a year ago. He was still clearly in the grieving process, still very much misses his wife. And we, I, I grieved with him, and, and I mourned the loss of his wife. And we began to, to engage in conversation, we, and we built a connection. And I, I finally asked the man, what do you believe about Jesus? You know, his wife is gone. He believes that she's in heaven. I asked, what do you believe about Jesus? And he began to recount all the ways that he's been fortunate in this life. He says, oh, I've been so lucky in this life. I, I feel like I've hit the jackpot, he said. And then he talked about his accomplishments and how, many, how, many, uh, how well he did as a coach and, and how many people he, he trained and how those people still call him to this day and, and, and thank him for the investment that he made in their life. And, and I, I, I had to say, brother, that is excellent. You, you were blessed. You were fortunate. Uh, you, you made meaningful impact in people's lives, but you will still stand accountable for your sin. And, and, and what will you do with that? And he had no answer. And so I shared with him Jesus Christ. I shared with him that Jesus Christ is the one who took our sin and our shame on our behalf. And unfortunately, in that moment, uh, we had to conclude the conversation, but I encouraged him to go and to seek the Lord and to repent and turn from his sin and be forgiven. And what a glorious thought that maybe this man is in his final days or weeks or months of life, and the Lord would wait and at the last minute would send the gospel but you know, that encounter reminded me and indicates to me that if you ask most people, in fact, I, I believe that the Quad Cities, if you ask most people, I'm going to say 85%, the number is probably higher. We are numbered among the, the most unreached communities in the United States. I believe that less than 80, I, I believe that more than 85% of the people that live within our community are either unchurched, straight up non-believers, or underchurched and just going through the motions. But most people, if you ask them, why would God allow you to enter into his kingdom in heaven, most of them would say, something along the lines of a works-based 
righteousness. Most people would say, well, Brian, I tried to be a good person. I was a civil servant. Serve my community. I was a business person. I, I, I invented things that helped society. I shared my profits with charities. I, I was a philanthropist. A philanthropist. <laughs> philanthropist. I, I, was, I, was, I was a good parent. I think that, that when I stand before the Lord, that He will look at me and He will say, you've done more good than bad. And so you come in. That is a works-based righteousness. And if you ask most, almost all people in this community, they will appeal to some sort of works-based righteousness. And they will all be condemned in their sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 9 through 20 puts the death nail in any aspiration of standing before God justified by your own virtues, justified by your own goodness. But listen, this is important because unless you understand how great is your disease, you will not want the cure. So just before Paul gets to the, the good part, he's going to take one final blow and drive in the final nail in the coffin of any hopes that you can stand before God in your own goodness. Let's read Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. He says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word, and through the reception of it. I pray that you would soften our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize just how deeply depraved the human heart is. How wicked. So that we can be so grateful, eternally grateful, for so great a salvation as you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 9, Paul asks, what then? What do we make of this? Right, 1 through 8, he talks about uh, the Jews have been given the oracles of God. They've got a great advantage. But in the end, most Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah, uh, Messiah, so they stand condemned. So the Jews, 
who have this great advantage of receiving the oracles of God. They've been given the law. The law came through the, the, the nation of Israel. They've received that. It's a great advantage. But most of them have rejected it and so stand condemned. And so they're like, well, of course, this is Paul speaking hypothetically. Are we Jews any better off? That's the question. Are, are we better off than anyone else? And he says, no, not at all. Scandalous. The Jews were convinced that because of who they were, they were going to inherit the kingdom of God just, just by virtue of their birth. Remember I said last week that the, Jew, that the Jewish rabbis taught that no circumcised man would ever go to hell. So if you were circumcised at eight, at, at, at eight days old, you ne there was no fear of hell. There was no condemnation for anyone that had the mark of circumcision. Paul's like, false. False. It's always been about faith. And I was going to appeal to the Old Testament to demonstrate that. Romans 1, 19, uh, 18 through 229, Paul lays out the indictments clearly. It's indictment after indictment after indictment. Now he tells us that the point of laying out all these indictments is to establish clearly and firmly the charge that everyone is lost in sin. We have already charged that all, he says. We have already charged that all. This is the point of the last two chapters. We have charged that all. The whole world is hopelessly lost. The pagan world exchanges the truth of God for a lie. They'll receive the wrath of God, Paul says. The Jews, who have the great advantage of receiving the Word of God, also deserve the wrath of God. Why? Because they received the oracles, they received God's standards, and they've rejected it. They're no better off than the pagan world. This is scandalous. This is scandalous. Romans 1 through 3 summarized everyone is condemned. Romans 1 through 3 summarized everyone is condemned. Everyone is lost. Everyone is subject to God's wrath. All, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Thank you, Paul. Unless you understand the disease, you will not accept the cure. Now, as if he has not already solidified the charge and driven it home, he unloads from Scripture. I, I, I see... I see Paul pacing in this room as he's speaking to his, to his writer who's writing this down. I think it's called Emmanuasis. He, he's pacing back and forth. He's, he's scrolling through the Rolodex of Scripture, and he's going back and forth. Follow me if you can up there, uh, down there with the, the cameras, guys. He's pacing back and forth, and he's just going from the top of his head, just going through Scripture. What does Scripture say about the, the, the nature of the human condition? He says in verse 10, as it is written. That's where, that, that's where the debate stops. As it is written. God said it. It is so. As it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Eight different ways in this one statement. 
Eight different ways Paul repeats how utterly corrupt mankind is. Pacing. The Rolodex of Scripture. I think he begins with Psalm 53, 1 through 3. It says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. At what point in human history did that assessment of of humanity get twisted and perverted to the concept that man is generally good? That except for the guys that choose to be bad, man is generally good. At, At what point did we get that so twisted? Who do you think was behind that twist? That's right. The deceiver, the enemy. Upon what basis does anyone imagine that deep down they're a good person? Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. Think about about that imagery. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Everything they say is death and deception. This is the human condition. Psalm 5, 9. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Wicked. The venom the venom of asps is under their lips. Just just poison spewing out when they open their mouth. That came from Psalm 140, verse 3. They speak death rather than life. They tear down rather than build up. Verse 14, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. This comes from Psalm 10.7. They criticize, they complain, they bicker, they grumble. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. All they ever want to do is seek Whatever it is that they want, whatever gets them ahead, whatever gives them an advantage, they'll go to war, they'll destroy anyone who gets in their way, they'll backstab. Some of you are thinking about coworkers, family members, right? But if we're, we need to say ouch before we say amen, Right? Because if we're honest, we all know that there's a tendency, even in us, to do these things. That's the whole point. None is righteous. No, not one. They leave a trail of tears and blood. They are ruthless, lawless, and selfish. 
Isaiah 59, 7 and 8. It says, Their feet run to evil. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no peace in their path. For they have made their roads crooked. Not even no, uh, no one who treads on them knows peace. It's no wonder that Jesus called the religious leaders of his day a brood of vipers. Just want you to imagine that scene. It says to the most venerated, respected men in the community, you are a pit of snakes. You have venom, you have poison. There's no peace. It's just death and destruction. This is the lot of man. Verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is why all those other things are true. There is no fear of God before their eyes. They are gods in their own minds. That's Adam and Eve. The serpent tempts them. You get to be the one that decides right from wrong. You get to step into the role of God. You don't have to fear God. You are God yourself. They don't care what God says in His Word. They will decide what is right and what is wrong. <clears throat> Psalm 36.1 Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Transgression, sin, wickedness, evil speaks to the lost person deep in the heart. This is not superficial unkindness or bad personality. This is deep down at the core of who man is, is dark and dead. And sin appeals to that depravity. Which I think is why Paul says in Romans 7.24, Wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Paul is like, listen, I, I, I want to be super clear that you don't get this twisted. These verses are for you, offspring of Abraham. What the Scripture says, it speaks to you. You're sitting there thinking, well, the Bible says their throat is an empty, is, is an open grave. And that's everyone except those within my community. It's everyone out there. And Paul's like, no, it's, it's for you. It was written for you who received the oracles of God. Whatever was written in the law was written for those who are under the law. Jews. All of that was about you. you. You presume upon your religious devotion. You presume upon your family lineage. 
You, you presume upon an external marking on your body, but this scripture was written for you. Unless you understand the disease, you will not want the cure. Don't think that these things written in the law only apply to the world out there. It's written for those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. That there would not be a single utterance of an excuse before God. So that not a single person in the entire world would be able to stand before God as judge and offer a defense. You presume that the Word of God condemns only those that are outside the walls of your community. The people who disagree with you, the people who live and act and, and value different things in you, it does condemn them, to be sure. The world is condemned out there. But Paul's message to the Jews is, you're condemned too. You're no better off. Heavy enough for you yet this morning? Imagine saying this to people. So they out there are accountable because God's invisible attributes are manifest in the creation. That's what Paul starts about, starts off with Romans 1, 18 through 32. The invisible attributes of God are made manifest in creation. The whole world is held accountable. But you're accountable because you've received the oracles of God. You've received God's Word. You've received God's standard. You are also accountable. Brother and sister, how much more those of us who have the law and the gospel bound up neatly in leather. Verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law reveals sin. The Bible reveals Sin, not goodness. What is at the core of the human heart is depravity, not virtue. When we receive and we read and we learn the law, it shows us our darkness. It exposes our dark depraved hearts. It reveals how far we are from God, not how lucky God is to have us near. That was certainly the mindset of the Jews. And I have met many Christians who believe that God is very lucky to have them on His team. But what the law exposes is how far we are from this holy God. It exposes our darkness, and if it exposes our darkness, 
then we are able to see it clearly. If we allow the law, the Word to expose our darkness, then we are able to see it clearly. And if we can see it clearly, then we can respond faithfully. And a faithful response is not trying to justify ourselves by doing better and trying to be good. The faithful response to this message is not us trying to do better and be good. But rather, it's what I said last week, looking to Jesus who is good. You are not good. You are not good. But Jesus is good. And you look to Jesus. He gives us His righteousness. And Paul says in Romans 3.24, we are justified. To be justified means to be declared not guilty. We are justified. We are declared not guilty not because we have atoned for our sin, made up for our sin, done enough good to cover our sin. That could never be. But rather, we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But unless you understand the disease, you will never accept the cure. Because the hardest thing for a man or a woman to do is acknowledge that they are not good enough. And until you acknowledge that you are not good enough, you will never look to Jesus to be your goodness, to be your righteousness, to be your justification. Paul's final concern before he launches into grace, which we'll get into next week. Praise the Lord, right? We're almost done with chapter 3. Almost done with Romans 1 through 3. The hardest part, right? Almost done. Before we get to there, next week, Paul has one more concern. And that is that every mouth be stopped. To stop the mouths of the objectors, the hypothetical, the cynics that would argue against Paul. To stop the mouth of the objectors and the self-righteous and the moralist and the, yeah, yeah, but I of the religious world. To stop the mouth of the people who would open them in self-defense. The, the mouth that would rebut every assault on their character. Defending it with trite cliches and anecdotes of their most charitable moments. To stop the mouths of the would-be judges of the world who look out on the lost and dying world with planks of condemnation protruding from their eye. Who cheer when the sins of others are exposed but recoil and hiss violently when it's their sin in the spotlight. To stop the mouths of people who stand proudly before God and thank Him that He is not like the sinners of the world. 
to stop the mouths of the brother who stayed at home while the prodigal son goes and spends a third of the estate on reckless living. The brother who complained to his father and sulked outside the home while his father throws a big feast for his lost, now found brother. For those who would complain to God for His graciousness to other people. To stop the mouths of those whose lips honor God while their hearts are far from Him. To stop the mouths of the rock-yielding accusers of the set-up adulterous woman. To stop the mouths of everyone who thinks they're entitled to anything from God except His just condemnation. Every mouth stopped. The end of self-justification. Silence in the courtroom. The evidence is plain. You have been exposed. There is no defense. None is righteous. No, not one. Every mouth stopped to hear. To hear grace. Grace for you. To hear life. Life eternal. Life abundant. To hear love unconditional. To hear mercy unending. To hear redemption unfailing. To hear reconciliation with God. To hear the savingly powerful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear the Father's heart for you. The call of our Heavenly Father who formed you in the womb to hear the call of the rescuer searching for his lost sheep, stilling the storms, calming the winds, setting the demoniac in his right mind, restoring sight to the blind, the lame leaping, the wounded bound up, the dead raised, and rising from the dead himself. Behold your Savior. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Repent. Repent. Unless you understand how great is your disease, how thoroughly depraved you really are, you will never accept the cure. Repent and be forgiven of your sin. Let Jesus make you clean. Let Jesus make you whole. Let Jesus make you righteous. Hear His call to come. And having heard, to speak. To speak words of life to other people. Kind words like honey. Gracious words seasoned with salt to speak the gospel to sinners 
who, were as who are as lost as you once were. To beat the hedges and go into the highways and the byways and implore the least and the lowly the unexpected and the undeserving, to enter into God's banquet that His house might be full, to speak words of life and speaking to hope. To hope that you, of all people, wretched man or woman that you are, and of course I number myself among them, could be used to do anything good at all. to hope in the Lord who allows you to carry the treasure of the gospel in your jar of clay. To hope that what Satan took from God, you are being used to take back to the glory of God. To hope that heaven will be populated by people because you the once no good, non-seeker of God, grave-throated, no fear of God, rebel that you once were, would have the blessed capacity to use your mouth, which once dripped with the venom of asps and spoke only death and destruction, would be used to speak words that would draw human beings out of condemnation and into eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a blessing. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, you are so gracious to us that you would use us, that you would put a word in our mouth to speak the gospel to other people, that you, that you would take this broken, wicked heart and make it new, and make it beat for you, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would do your work, that you would move among us this morning. There are people here that do not know Jesus. And I pray that today would be the last day that that would be true. I pray that you would turn their hearts. Holy Spirit, would you give them new life and cause them to have faith in Jesus and be saved. And there are some who, who, are, who are wallflowers. They've been saved, but they've never told a single person the gospel. Though they are surrounded, 90 out of 100 people around them stand condemned in their sin. And they've not shared it with anyone. May today be the last day that that is true. Lord, you have given us a strong mission, a clear purpose. Lord, help our people step and step and step so that we would become that body in which every member is a missionary, taking the gospel across the street and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for watching online. I hope that this message has inspired you to greater faith, has encouraged you, maybe convicted or challenged you. We're grateful to be able to provide this content to you online, live and on demand. If you haven't done so already, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube so that we can get this content right to you as soon as we upload it. 
But you know, we believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you need the body of Christ. You need the local church. And so if you're in the Quad Cities, let me invite you to personally join us in person for our gatherings on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. If you're not in the Quad Cities, I want to encourage you to go find a local church that teaches the Bible, that serves the community, that loves Jesus, that gives grace. Well, hey, thanks again for watching, and we hope that you were blessed.